been focused over the last few months on verses, chapter 3, verse 18 through chapter 4, verse 6. What does it mean to look into the face of Jesus? We will pray and read the word of the Lord. Father, thank you. Thank you for saving us. Father, the privilege of being fellow heirs of Jesus Christ. Father, may we never cease to stand in awe of that. And Father, thank you for your word that it knows the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And Father, thank you for your precious bride, your church. Father, that you've given us the privilege of being in it. Lord, give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Give us a love for our Savior and Lord that surpasses knowledge. To you and you alone, in Christ's name, amen. Chapter 3, beginning in verse 18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we've received mercy, we do not lose heart. We have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if the gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, light shall shine out of the darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Um, this is a powerful text, and uh, I, I feel so inadequate to even try to tackle it, and yet that's where we're at in our study. And but I guess you could summarize just this text uh, as the Christian life. Um, you know, I, I, I've watched the church today, uh, in this age, this season, and, um, we believe that if I get enough people sitting in our buildings, then I can get a payroll that will be big enough that I can hire ministers to minister to these people. And then I get more people to come and I can hire more ministers to minister. And that is the model that is out there. Uh, and it's a, uh, it's a tragedy. Because when I read verse 18, it says, but we all. Okay, and in the context is, we are ministers of the new covenant. Okay, and, and, and yet we look at it and we say, well, the pastor's the minister. Well, let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. If you're saved today, you're a minister. Okay, and it's not a magical, mystical word. Um, he's a minister. No, it's a servant. That's it. I know you thought it was going to be. It's sort of like I watch people say, well, I'm going to be a deacon. You know, that's a table waiter. Proud of you. Oh, did I tell you that the tables you're waiting on, you will not get a tip. And yet I watch this today, and that is exactly what is going on in the church. It has become a consumer thing. I want to go to this church because it has, what, singles? No, it's got young married. No, it's got youth. No, it's got kids program. Whoa, wait a minute, you missed it. You go to be strengthened by the word of God so you can effectually minister. It is our Christian life. All right, so I can surmise the Christian life 
and, and everybody, and I got into trouble for this because Terry, you're just making it too simple and it can't be that simple. Yeah, it is. Christian life is Christ focused. That's it. Anybody this week, in the last seven days since we were together, become agitated about something? <laughs> Nobody's going to admit to it, <laughs> which means I got a whole room full of liars. <laughs> okay? Did anything make you angry this week? Okay? As soon as it happens, guess where your focus ain't? You ever thought about that? I, uh, I love to ride my motorcycle. And everybody says, you a biker? 60 miles to the gallon. <laughs> Cost me $12 to fill it up, and I get two weeks of riding. Okay, well, I ride so much that my back tire's worn out. And so I ordered a tire on Monday. And I get my little email thing up, and it says, shipped. Yes. And it'll be there on the 1st. Yes. So I'm waiting, pacing. And I get the little order on there. It says, out for the delivery. Right, all right, all right. Okay. Then I happen to notice something on the shipping invoice. 1.4 pounds. It's like a small tire. I get it. And I'm a, a good customer. And it is a tire gauge. I have a whole drawer full of tire gauges. Okay, I go and I open up the invoice and it says Avon Venom Tire. Where? <laughs> then you read down at the bottom, may come in two boxes. All right, I was really, I love to ride. And I got a tire gauge and, and a real bulb. Back tire. Okay, one of those that... Have you ever had a blowout? You do not want one on a motorcycle. Okay? I don't care how good a rider you are. You're about to experience something you're really not interested in. And so I'm, I'm not riding. It doesn't aggravate... I mean, I still have to mount it and balance it and all that other stuff. But that was a little frustrating. Because I had to take my pickup and put $50 in there and says, how come it didn't give me a full tank? <laughs> when we get that position, you know what you're not looking at? You're not looking at Christ. I don't care. Anytime you get aggravated about anything, know what you're not looking at. Now, you can spiritualize it because I'm sure none of you are ever guilty of that. The Lord, <laughs> save me. No. When I realize that things are bugging me, I always know what I'm not looking at, and it has to be the face of Jesus Christ. It has to be the face of Jesus Christ in every circumstance. Because when I'm looking into the face of Jesus Christ, I am seeing and will find the glory of God. Period. And once you're looking at that, guess what? That tire will show up when God says it's time for it to show up. I made a whole bunch of plans this morning. Had it all kind of laid out. This is exactly what's going on. And I, ain't none of it happening the way I planned it. Okay, it's all changed. I had it all the way through to midday tomorrow. And God said, <laughs> dummy. Why? No, I'm in charge of your life. I have bought you and paid for you as a price. Paul would say to live is Christ. To die is gain. And you know what? We all make plans. We all have these ideas. We all have our ambitions. We all have these things that I will. What? Be frustrated when God changes your plans. Guaranteed. And all you have to do is when you get that moment that it's uh, kiss can't what you're not looking at. Just hear those words. You'll hear Terry saying, you're not looking at him. You're not looking at him. 
At the writing of this letter, the Apostle Paul's ministry is not really on the positive side. Things were basically going south on him, uh, to say the least. Um, His ministry was suffering. He had started riots in Ephesus. Uh, The group, his ministry team, had vanished. He didn't even know if they were still alive. This wonderful church that he had poured his soul into in Corinth had just bought anything that comes down the pike. He had a number of false teachers coming in, attacking his character, whether he's credible or not. He's a liar. We believe he's adulterating the word of God. You know what? I'm not sure that he's just trying to teach this doctrine of grace for favors. And the church was starting to listen. Well, maybe Paul, well, maybe he is deceiving us. Maybe there's some hidden things that he should be shameful for. Second, or yeah, in this letter, chapter 11, 23, are they servants of Christ? I speak as if it's insane. I more so in more labors and far more imprisonments, beaten without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. At night and a day I spent in the deep. I have been in frequent journeys in dangers from rivers and dangers from robbers and dangers from my countrymen and dangers from the Gentiles and dangers in the city and dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea and dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and in hardship and through many sleepless nights in hunger and in thirst, often without food in cold and exposure. And apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure of my concern for all of the churches. Welcome to ministry. Second Corinthians is ministry. And the thing that is propagated today, as we call it, ministry is not biblical. Is not biblical. And yet, even in the midst of this suffering and this heartache and this tragedy and this trials, the Apostle Paul says, I'm going to keep looking at Jesus. I'm going to keep looking at Jesus. He's under attack. He's under attack. He said there that he he manifests truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience. He is manifesting truth. You know what that means? He walks in it. So everywhere he goes, if there's false, there is a conflict. Listen, the whole world we looked at last week was in the lap of who? Satan. You know what that means? It's all false. The whole system is against truth. I was listening to some people and they were talking about the Antichrist. The whole globe is Antichrist. The whole thing. He's the prince of the air. So when you stand in truth, you're going to have conflict. Paul told Timothy, if you walk in his righteousness, you shall be persecuted. And it starts out little things. I remember the first time I was called Bible thumper. I thought, wow, I've made it. I never thought I'd ever get that title. I've been called a lot of things by quote-unquote Christians. I was called an antichrist. They like to call me Pharisee. <laughs> it's hilarious. Okay? Uh, but I get all of them. I know what it's like. But I haven't had the things that Paul had. Although one time I had this crab meat in Russia, I thought it was going to die. I have no idea what that was. But by golly, oh, I just don't know about that. I made up a very uh, no seafood in Russia. I don't know where they're getting it. And I don't know what they're dragging it across to get it there. I ain't eating that no more because I will be honest with you. I, I, I buy these uh, emergency flights out insurance things when I travel to Russia. If something happens to me medically, uh, they, a company will send a Learjet in and get me and fly me to an American hospital. Okay, and I always get one of those. And I thought I was going to have to cash that thing in with that crab meat. <laughs> 
Okay, and that's probably as close to the suffering that Paul. I was like, whoa, oh, I thought crab meat would be just crab meat, unless it's Russian. There were plots to kill him. I don't think that there's plots to kill me. I've had plots to discredit me, but there have been plots to discredit Paul. They tried to discredit Jesus. They tried to discredit Peter. And Paul found a solution to every one of those problems in that verse 18. Beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. If I look around at the accusers, if I look around at the trials, if I look around at the heartache, you will become overwhelmed. But if you look at the face of Jesus Christ, it's like, that's eh, it's no big deal. Everything is right on track. As long as he did that, he found strength and comfort, encouragement and joy, and it was not based on circumstances. He always had it. He never had to lose it. We look at the Lord in revealed Scripture. If you see a worn-out Bible, you will see a person who is not. Because they're always looking at the person of Christ. In revealed Scripture... You find the real glory of God. You start finding out who is God. What is God like? His purposes, His plans, His power. Yeah, that's all peace. That's pretty cool. Once you start looking at the glory of God revealed in the face of Jesus, you will learn to trust Him more and more and more and more. The whole life that you have should be centered on the person of Jesus Christ. To live as Christ. When you look at the face of Jesus, you will note that it is a clear look. It isn't hidden. It isn't veiled anymore. You just look right at it. There he is. There's all of his glory. There's all of his power. All of his promises. Oh, he looks just like God. You're right. When His glory is manifest, the nature and the attributes of God is seen. And you just sit there and go, whoa. Wow. I've been going through a bunch of tests, medical tests. My doctors always freak out about once every four or five years. and They decide they want to poke and prod and take blood and all these other things. And, and it drives them nuts. Because they don't think I care. And I really... I kind of like into the Mickey Mantle thing. Mickey Mantle was my hero. But I remember him after he got his liver transplanted, after huge abuse. Um, he said, I'd have taken better care of myself if I'd have known I was going to live this long. And, and, but, you know, you and I, we get sidetracked. And it was so easy. Lust of the eyes. Lust of the flesh. And the worst one of all. Pride of life. Pride of life. And it, all it does is just take your view off of looking at the glory of God on the face of Jesus Christ. clear look it's a transforming look it literally will turn you into it you will start manifesting the attributes and natures of your savior you ever thought about that that still freaks me out and i've tried to read it different ways thinking that i misinterpreted it but i haven't the more you look at christ the more you will act like him that is amazing but if you really think about it ain't it that way in our lives the more I spend with a person or in a situation, don't you start looking like that situation or that person? You start acting like them. You have characteristics that start. You'll have little sayings that you'll say that sounds just like, oh, that sounds just like, what's his name? I, I seen two brothers one time when they walked from the back. You couldn't tell. They look like each other. You just sit there and go, wait a minute. But the longer you look at Jesus Christ, guess what? You'll be transformed. It is a look that strengthens. You look at one. We have this ministry. 
because we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. I do not become cowardly. I do not become cowardly. To lose heart means uh, push into cowardice. I ain't going to be afraid. Why? I understand the mercy it was to save me. And I know that I am not adequate. Verse 6 says, who has made us adequate as servants? God has. I know I can't do this. This is out of my league. This is out of my realm. But I know his mercy and his mercy overwhelms me in such ways. I ain't going to be afraid. I am not going to be afraid. It purifies us. It makes us renounce the hidden things. There's things that you and I do that we don't want nobody to know. Well, maybe not you. But you can renounce them. Why? Because the more I look at Jesus Christ, what are you hiding? I tell people who are getting married, the most intimate thing you can do with your spouse is pray. Oh, I got it. Nope. Because you're going before a holy God who knows the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And how much pride are you going to take in there? And if you're taking your wife in there, you're not going to boast on, oh, I'm uh, really taking care of this woman. You're going in there going, oh, Lord, (laughs) what a mess I have made. And the more you look at his face, the more you'll love truth. Second part of verse 2. We do not walk in craftiness, adulterating the word of God, but we are the manifestation of truth, committing ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. You know, it's, you hear this a lot. Well, you need accountability. You're doing it inside of God. Uh, really? But again, it goes back that if I haven't put the time to look at the person of Jesus Christ in holy writ, you, you really think you're hiding something. Adam thought he could hide from God. I've sinned. Let's go hide. Perfect. Great idea, Adam. Why didn't I think of that? But that's what we do. I mean, the water's fit in the hollow of his hand and the span of his hand is creation. And he knows the hairs of your head and he knows when a sparrow falls. And you're going to hide where? Go read Psalm 139. If I go to the zenith, you're there. If I go to Sheol, you're there. If I go to the left, you're there. If I go to the right, you're there. If I go to the deep, guess what? Last week we looked at the fact that it's a privilege. I think we miss this at times because it says here that The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Why? They start out because they can't believe because it's veiled. God hasn't opened their eyes. Not only is that blinding them, the God of this world, Satan, has the whole system geared for encouraging depravity. And that blinds us. That's why you watch people in ministry that says, My church ain't growing. I ain't got this. I ain't got that. What system are you moving in? Jesus basically stopped disease and death for three years in Israel. And his 12 disciples, one betrayed him, one forsook him, and the other 10 vanished. That doesn't sound real positive. And I mean, he was only doing things like walking on water, creating food, raising the dead, healing any disease, making the blind to see, and couldn't get a good solid following. And you're going to do what? I can walk on water if it's below zero for a long time. Then it brings us to verse 5. We do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. To look at the face of Jesus Christ is a look that humbles. It humbles. We do not preach ourselves. We are slaves. If you look at the implications here, there would be those who would accuse Paul of proclaiming himself. Perhaps he has a life of secret shame. I believe he's crafty. Crafty means that whatever it takes to get my outcome. Adulterating the word, preaching self and self-promoting. You know what's funny about that? 
The greatest church in the world that I've ever seen or read about, I haven't seen it, ever read about it, was the Church of Thessalonica. I mean, 1 Thessalonians, the first four chapters, just freaking Paul out. I mean, and he was only there maybe a maximum of three months, and yet they had gone through that. One of their members had been taken hostage by the Jews um, and, and um, threatened to kill him if Paul and his entourage didn't leave. Uh, they had left and gone to Berea, which was about 50 miles west of Thessalonica. They chased him out of Berea. Um, and, and, uh, and yet, if you read in the history of it, uh, both of the chief priests of the synagogue became Christians because of the preaching of the church in Thessalonica. History says that there's never been an, uh, the lack of an evangelical presence in Thessalonica, even though the city was called Saloniki. Uh, it's called all kinds of names. It's, it's been under communism. It's been under um, dictatorship. It's been under some kind of form of Greek socialist something right now. There's still always a church there. And it's a port town. Okay, but it's also an army town and the main highway went through it. So do I need to describe the culture? Okay. Yet there's always been a church there. And you know what's amazing about the church at Thessalonica? Who's the pastor? What was his name? Was he published? Did he have a TV show? Radio? We don't know who it was. But the church had grown and turned from sin in such a dramatic way that all of Christendom and the civilized world had heard what God was doing in Thessalonica. And let me ask you a question. Did they hear it on the radio or the Internet? Did somebody tweet it? How did they know? It's word of mouth. Word of mouth. Paul says, it's not true. And he points to the false ones, but he does it a little bit later. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, he says, We are not bold to class. Okay? I'm not in a social place that makes me brag or compare ourselves with some of those who what? Commend themselves. pretty interesting this thing <laughs> we don't commend ourselves you know what and you hear this well i never got a thank you well i i i just don't think i'm appreciated there really are you wanting to be commended paul says i never commended myself There are those who are out there today who preach themselves. I know several very large churches that the guy will tell you, I studied the Bible and this is how it applies to me this week. And he's a great storyteller. But you know what? He's not looking into the face of Jesus Christ. And when the junk comes, that will come. These people ain't got nothing. They've got nothing to do. They can't look into the face of Jesus Christ to see the glory of God because they've been looking in the face of the preacher to see what? To see what? See, Paul's life, the vision of Christ himself humbled him and kept him humble. Three times I prayed that God would remove this thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan. Three times. This is God's servant to the Gentile, the apostle to the Gentiles. Three times this man is buffeting me in his demonic. And God said, my grace is sufficient. Hmm. You know what he's saying, right? No, you don't need to boast. I know a man, and I do not know whether it was in spirit or in the flesh, was taken to the third heaven, and the things that he's seen there, he's not allowed to speak of. You don't know how depressing that would have to be? 
I mean, if you get into heaven, then you have to leave. I mean, heaven, I gotta go back where? And he went back. Why? He wanted to see these things. Paul understood humility. He understood it completely. First Corinthians chapter two, verse three. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. That's a boastful person there, huh? Second Corinthians 12, verse 5. On behalf of such a man, I will boast. But of my own behalf, I will not boast, except in regard to my weaknesses. And if you look at Paul's writings, the only thing he boasts in is that he was fearful, he was weak, he was scared, and he couldn't, he didn't have, wasn't much to look at. He had to be coyote ugly. I mean, he had to be. He was stoned and left for dead. It wasn't like he went out and got plastic surgery. He was stoned and left for dead. Oh, he only hit his body. We didn't hit his head. Dude was scarred up. And you see it over and over again. I don't have eloquence of speech. Verse 9 of that same text. And it's to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected where? Weakness. You want to see a strong Christian, you will see a humbly weak person. They're never talking about themselves. I have had the privilege to speak to some and sit down and have very um, wonderful conversations with some of the greatest preachers that this world has ever seen. And it is amazing to me that every one of them has something in common. They were all more concerned about what my ministry was doing than what theirs was. One of these guys, I sat down and had dinner with him. It was great. We had ribs and he had barbecue sauce all over his face. And I just, right on. <laughs> that, that just made me happy. I was like, you know, he's as holy as he is. I bet he didn't even get barbecue sauce on him. But anyway. Um, and the whole conversation, this man's ministry, there is nowhere on the planet Earth Every half hour, his messages ain't going out globally. And I mean, they, they've translated it now into Russian. It's in, in, in Chinese. Uh, they got some Mandarin stuff going on with it. They got Spanish going on and, and English. And every half an hour on the planet Earth, his radio broadcasts are going out. And he was wondering about this church and the things we're doing in Russia and all the rest of it. And he's got a congregation of 25,000. And had nothing to say about his church or what they were doing or his radio broadcasts or his publications or anything like that. He wanted to know about me. And that just freaked me out. I got nothing to tell you, dude. (laughs) And I didn't. What am I going to tell you? God has blessed this little congregation. They have a heart for those who want to hear the word. And that's what we're going to just do. Period. End of conversation. You got barbecue sauce on your chin. He says, yeah, I get that way. I said, that's why I got a beard. I saved mine for later. (laughs) He wanted to go play golf, and he's a two handicap. (laughs) Sure. I ain't going to play golf with you. I don't need to be that humble. When Paul speaks of himself, he always speaks of his weaknesses, his inabilities. He never promoted himself. And yet he could have. And in some cases, I wonder why he didn't. You know what? I bet you could never find a promotional picture of the Apostle Paul. I don't know. A bunch of guys get promotional pictures. He always preached the glories of Christ. It was never about himself. Paul's life was his love for Christ. It consumed him. It was the focus of everything he did. 
every breath he had, he focused on the person of Christ. If he would boast, it would be into the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And no matter what the affliction, no matter what the situation, no matter all the suffering. I mean, when he makes a statement in chapter 11 of this letter that my daily concerns for the church. I wonder how many people in this room have had a daily concern for the church. And you know what? If you want to learn how to have a daily concern for the church, meet with me this Thursday as I sit down with these pastors here in Castle Rock and listen to them. And you will have a daily concern for the church. When I hear people tell me that their Easter service was phenomenal because of the audiovisual effects that their people put on, I'm sitting there going, Resurrection Sunday, you're telling me what? You had an audiovisual presentation that outdid the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, I can make a prayer meeting awkward. That's insane to me. Now, I want to show you something here because back to your text, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5. He says, we do not preach ourselves. It isn't about us. But Christ Jesus. Finish this phrase. Christ Jesus as Lord. Why not Christ Jesus as Savior? I thought he was Savior. You know what they call that? Paul was a lordship preacher. Do you understand... That Christ Jesus is Lord. Do you understand? You don't make him Lord. He already is. Do you understand that he was Lord before he was Savior? And Paul preached him crucified for your sin so he would be Lord. Of your life. Do you understand what I'm trying to get there? It ain't your life. You have a new boss. It's Jesus Christ. See, second, first Corinthians chapter two, verse two, he preached Christ as savior, but he also preached him as, as Lord. He was crucified for sin. He is alive to rule your lives. Well, that doesn't sound like grace. Well, if you only got the first part, you won't have to worry about the second part. If we reject the teachings of the Apostle Paul, we're not rejecting Paul. We are rejecting Jesus as Lord. Um, that gets you in trouble. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says, If we confess with our mouth Jesus As Savior? No. Jesus as Lord. And believe in our hearts that God raised Him from the dead. What would happen to you? You'll be saved. So when I challenge a person's salvation, what I'm challenging is, who's ruling your life? Because what it looks like says you ain't saved. There's only two masters on this planet. One is Jesus Christ. And the other is Satan. You're not Switzerland. I'm morally neutral. No, you ain't. And I don't, you know, well, I can't believe he was judged not unless you be judged. Read your context. Read your context. By the same measure that you judge, you will be judged. If you say you don't look like Jesus is your Lord, you'd better be looking in the mirror saying, is he my Lord? And if he is, then I can say, hey, he don't look like he's ruling your life. 
And I mean, that gets all kind of crazy on it. If you don't have peace, guess who's ruling? If you don't have joy, guess who's ruling? Oh, don't you hate these kind of sermons? They just make you go, (sighs) don't they? You know what the problem with these sermons are? They're still true. Philippians chapter 2, verse 11. We all know the text. As soon as I repeat it, you'll know which one it is. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. What will it confess? Jesus Christ is Lord. And that's everybody. And every every person's going to get a brief glimpse, at least, of Jesus Christ. And what they will see is Lord. Now, they'll probably be really bummed out in some cases. But it still doesn't make him not Lord. You know, it's, it's sort of like, who rules hell? God does. Satan doesn't. Everybody thinks Satan's driving the bus down there. He's going to be tormented as much as any other sinner. And he will be tormented forever, just like any other non-repentant sinner. And guess what that means? Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Paul preached Jesus as a crucified Savior and a sovereign Lord. Savior provides forgiveness, grace, and mercy for sin. As sovereign Lord, it calls each of us to obey obedience and submission. Paul's preaching is simple, and Paul's preaching was informative. In our culture today, preaching is extraordinarily hard to do. Okay? I've never met a human being yet who does not like to receive information. We all like, we have games, trivial pursuit. And what is it? Just a bunch of information. And sometimes I I know that. We love to receive information. Look at what we do. We got phones that gives us information. I got tweets. I've got Facebook. I've got computer. I got email. I got, I just want information. That's it. But preaching has nothing going on around it to excite the senses. We want pictures and sound bites. Somebody just standing up there talking. Really? Really? And the preacher's challenge is to get it through to your mind. And I have to do it without any explosions. I have to do it with no special effects. I, I, I don't even get to use dancing horses. I just stand up there and talk. Okay? If you've ever been to college, I went to Ohio State, and they used to have these big rooms. And a guy would just stand down there and talk. And you just sit there. Wow. Okay, and then they give you a syllabus and you go through it. And then it dawned on me, I don't have to go to class. Because he's going to bore me to sleeping. And what good is sleeping in his class going to do me? So I'll just go through the syllabus, get my book and say, okay, I got this. You know what that means, right? Lots of free time. Which kept me from reading and (laughs) a few other odds and ends I took care of. Okay. But that's all it was. You had a professor or a, one of his assistants or something. They sit down there and like the Charlie Brown teacher. And you're like, wow, that was great. I spent an hour listening to nothing. And yet, as a preacher, I don't get any special effects. I don't get to blow something up. Preaching is, an, is to give information. And the information is about Jesus Christ. We like to call it because it really thrills people's hearts and excites them. When you say, today, we will be giving you doctrine on Jesus Christ. And everybody goes, great. Tonight, we will deal with the theology of sanctification. 
Yay. See, my Bible tells me in Romans 10 that faith comes from hearing. Hmm. And I'm going to hear a message about Jesus so that my faith will get bigger. That's it. The message is he is a savior. The message is, do you know what the cross means? The message is, do you understand he is Lord? Do you understand he is sovereign? Do you understand what all of those mean? Paul's mission, our mission, our ministry. Why did Jesus come? What he did when he came and why he did it. I know people right now says, well, I'm going to go take a class on learning how to share my faith. Perhaps you should get saved. Because as soon as you get saved, you know how to share your faith and you become annoying. And then you graduate to Bible thumper. When we proclaim Jesus as Savior and Lord, you combine the two with his sovereign grace and that sovereign grace working in men's hearts. Guess what happens? People get saved. It's amazing. And I don't blow nothing up. I don't get a dancing horse. I don't have any special effects or anything. And God's sovereign grace with the message of the cross and the person of Jesus Christ and the power of the cross. Guess what? Poof. They're saved. Transformed. In the very image. From the glory to glory. <laughs> How did that happen? People are brought from the darkness to the light. People are brought from dead to life. And I would ask a simple question. Who's adequate for such a thing as that? You can't preach self. It's impossible. You preach self, really? How are you going to transform a human black and veiled heart? Talk about Christ. Why? Because he's the object of our love. It should be the desires of our hearts. The only way of redemption is through the person of Jesus Christ. But see, he, Paul even gets better than that. Look at the end of verse 5. Because we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord in ourselves. Have you read that? Have you read that? I went back to it in the original language and it really depressed me because this is a good translation. Do you note the term bond servant? Doulos. You know what that is? Slave. Oh, it means someone who was... No, it doesn't. It means someone who was bought in the possession of a master. Okay? Do you know whose bond slave they are? Did you read that? Better read it again. It'll depress you. It's for Christ's sake. But whose slave are you? Yours. The church's. We are your slave for Christ's sake. <laughs> you guys didn't get as thrilled about that as I did. <laughs> I cried for a week. A slave means to serve. In Romans chapter 1, verse 1, he said he was a slave to the Lord. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 1, he is a slave to the Lord. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 12, and in chapter 9, verse 19, he says, I am a slave of God's. Here he says, we are... Your slaves. But he says it for Christ's sake. Why? Because I'm a slave of Christ makes me a slave to you. See, here's what you and I do. Okay, and we're bad at it. We separate Christ in the church. But if you think about the Damascus Road, Paul was on his way to arrest Christians. Right? 
And when Jesus showed up in the sky, all the glory of the resurrected Christ, he says, Paul, Paul, actually Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my church? It's not what he says. Why are you persecuting me? So when you see him use here, I am a slave, your slave for Christ's sake. And you know, he is God's slave, Jesus' slave. You know what Paul just did? If you are his child, then all the other saints are your slaves. There is one head in this church. I ain't him. It is the person, Jesus Christ. We are but his body, and each of us are slaves, first and foremost, to Jesus Christ, his body to one another. And I just got a bucket full of theology. How great, huh? Now then, do you see why the church is sort of twisted up? It's because you and I have separated the person of Jesus Christ from his church. And by doing that, guess what you just did? You've disjointed the thing. Because he says, I am your slave. Now listen, if I am your slave, how boastful can I be? I mean, what slave runs around bragging? I boast in my master. But I am but his slave. Do you understand? It's, it's like when he washed their feet. We're all supposed to be washing each other's feet. And everybody says, oh, what? <laughs> you want me to what? But isn't it true? You serve me, I serve you. I can see everybody signing on to that one. We are your slaves for the sake of Jesus. To bring you Christ, to bring you truth because of our love for Christ. Because of my love for Christ, I willingly, eagerly will be your. Nobody's, I don't think I know what part he's talking about there. I love Christ. I love him more than anything. Slave. Wait a minute. I thought it was grace. It is. True look into the face of Jesus Christ can only result in humility. And you know what? I was thinking about this. This should be basic. This should be basic. Anyone who looks into the face of Jesus has to be humble. How else? What else can you be? I mean, he only spoke existence into being. I mean, he created time. That there is always just sort of what he created space. I mean, and you're going to boast what? Those who are not humble are not looking into his face. It's impossible. The object of our affections will show us our humility. We build a servant of the lo- uh, of the one we love. Those who are loved by the one he loves, we will be a servant to God's people, and it will be a passion. We will love the people as slaves because they are being transformed into the image of. Christ from glory to glory. A real look at Jesus, a real love of Jesus, all you will see is humility. What was he? He was, I have not come, I have come to serve. I have come to do the will of my Father. Where there is no humility, There's no real view of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's not there. It's not there. Pride drives me nuts. Absolutely. Most frustrating thing I ever do because I just want to say, 
You're boasting in yourself. And my wife looks at me and says, you shouldn't say it that way. Give me a hammer. Why? Because I don't understand how I can look at the person of Jesus Christ and say, what do you bring to this? Calvin called it worm theology. I would call it well-turd theology because it's at the bottom of the ocean. I know, great illustration. I, I, I can't bring any... What do I bring to Jesus? I'm a clay pot. An earthen vessel that is used to take the waste of the house out. That's the term that Paul uses to describe us. Well, we're stepping up now. I'm the poop jar. <laughs> because that's what you're all thinking. And it is. And that, that indoor plumbing was rocking back in the time of the writing of the New Testament. When you see pride, there is another person distracting the love of that individual. You know who it is? Self. It's always self. It's always self. And the first thing that you can spot in a true Christian, humility. It's humility. And that level of humility will show the level of the love for Jesus Christ. The level of the humility is directly proportionate to the level of the love for the person of Jesus Christ. I'm tired of people telling me, you know what? I have accepted Jesus Christ. I trust Jesus Christ. I believe in Jesus Christ. My question to every one of you who would ever say that term is this. Do you love him? That's what I want to know. Because you know what? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, but they do not say that they all love him. And a child of God will love the Lord Jesus Christ. And if he loves the Lord Jesus Christ, he will love the fellow heirs in the body of Christ to the point that he will be their slave. That's the Christian life, people. Look intently into the face of Jesus Christ. If you're not looking into the face of Jesus Christ, seeing the glory, then guess what? This outline does not apply to you. It's impossible. Remember, I showed you. Those who are saved, what? Behold the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. We beheld His glory. Whose glory is that? The glory of God. The nature and the attributes of God. That's salvation, brothers and sisters. A person who loves Christ will be humble. They don't have a choice. Think about it. To live is Christ. And to everyone else, I'm a slave. That's the Christian life. Now, I'm like you. I wish when somebody I wanted to be saved, that somebody would explain that a little more to me. I'd have saved myself a whole ton bunch of heartache. But you just had it explained to you. You know what that means? I'll use the verbiage of Paul. You're without excuse. Aren't you glad you came and seen me today? Where's the dancing horses? <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for my brother Paul. And Father, I long, I long to walk as he walked. Help us, Lord. Help us to walk worthy of this amazing privilege. And Father, may, uh, may we never take each other for granted. Father, may we have a longing desire for for you and you alone. I thank you for this time. I thank you for the privilege of worshiping. And I thank you for the privilege of being in your precious bride, your church. Father, help us. In this day and this age. Of the ears of so many ears wanting to be tickled. Let us not waver from doctrine and truth. And Father, let us preach Christ and him crucified. Every commending each other's commending your truth to men's conscience. And Father, realizing that you have made each of us adequate for such a ministry. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name, amen.